All right, great to be with you guys. Really nice job singing. We're missing our most of our high school kids that usually sit up on the front row, so y'all gonna have to bring extra to the to the dance today. They they're away on a retreat. Really fun news. I got texted this morning from Stevie, our student director here at Race Lexington. One of one of our folks, one of our students here, believed in Jesus for the first time last night. Yes, yes. So I want to pray for them, and then we'll jump right in. Father, uh, remember really important times when I'd get away for something like the students are on right now, and excited for them, and want to ask you to work today, work even as this thing wraps up, pray that you would uh, complete good work that you're doing in our students. We appreciate all of them. Thank you for the ones that know you and the ones that don't, Lord, we, we want all of them to know you. We want those that do to grow, so we pray for that. Thank you for all of our leaders across campuses that uh, took this weekend to go hang out with some high school students. Bless them, Lord. Give them energy to finish, and uh, just show them favor for their service as well, Lord. As we open your word this morning, we want it to have life. Um, recognize we could read it like a textbook, even though it's your word, God. We could miss potentially what you want said deep into us. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd speak into us, that you would uh, connect the dots for us. And this would be uh, a morning where we interacted with you, not, not just sat and listened to new information. We trust you with all that in Jesus' name. Amen. 1988, I know a lot of y'all never even saw that year. Um, <laughs> I was 21, so you can do the math, figure out how old I am. Uh, I was working uh, over Christmas break my senior year in college, and I was trying to earn enough money to buy a ring. I don't know what happened. I had, had this high expectation for what kind of ring I could buy for the, the young lady that I'm married to right now. And, and so I was working hard, working hard over that break for, for my uncle on a job, and my chest started hurting. Some of you guys know this story. I had this extreme pain in my chest when you're 21. You're going through your head like, what did I eat last night? You know, it was lasagna. I do remember eating like 100 jelly beans the night before. <laughs> Not that that could impact your body at all, but uh, chest was hurting. I had this old, this, this boss on the job. He was a farmer. And I was bending over while I was working because, sure enough, not going home because you're sick, right? So I'm bending over, and he could tell that I was in pain. He's like, son, what's wrong with you? And I said, man, my chest is hurting. And he says, why don't you go to the doctor? I'm like, when the farmer tells you to go to the doctor, you go to the doctor because you must be dying. <laughs> so I went to the doctor, went and saw Dr. Bryant. And long story short, um, they hooked me up to this EKG. And... Next thing you know, my mother, I'm 21 now, my mother shows up at the, at the office, the doctor hits me with some volume, volume and they rush me to the ER. And uh, before I knew it, this new doctor, Dr. Walker, is standing over me saying, son, you're having a heart attack. I'm 21, I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, and like, but it hurts, right? Like, so I got this pain going on, and they're injecting stuff into me, and my mama comes in, and if you, if you, I'm the small-time one in my family, just so y'all know. If you meet my family, you'll be like, he's the lightweight, because my mama walks in, and this doctor is like, he's wearing me out, accusing me of, uh, of crack cocaine, right? Like, so he's, he's on me about what kind of drug did I take, and he's like in my face. I'm laying on a gurney, right, like having a heart attack. He's just trying to save my, my life, right? And, 
And my mama hears him, which is hilarious. My mama's, uh, let me just leave the description short, but she, she, she squares him up, looks him out, out across my body, <laughs> and starts going after him that her son has not used any drugs. I'm like, Mama, you ain't been with me my whole life. But she's, she, they're going head to head over my body. As I lay there, this, this thing, just like a comedy show, uh, I had this piece that I really wish I could explain to you. If you've been there and you know Jesus, you know what I'm talking about. I had this piece. I can still remember I had one tear. Not that I was tough. That was all I could get out. Uh, it was hot. I can remember it rolling down the side of my face, and then I must have passed out. I had this, you know, I was sad, like I was going to leave people I loved. I had this peace because of a relationship with God. Legend has it, and I was passed out. I did not witness this. My mother tells a story, which you have to take with a grain of salt. Sorry, Mom, if you're watching this thing. But, but anyway, I had to take it with a grain of salt. She says that my brother showed up. My brother's five years younger, so he was 16. They say that he was informed at school that I was having a heart attack and flew over to Anderson Memorial in Anderson, South Carolina. And when he got there, he saw my mom and the doctor arguing over my body. Again, <laughs> he was a Reed family from Anderson, South Carolina. That might explain some of this. And when he saw her arguing with the doctor and heard what the doctor was saying, the first words out of his mouth were, you say another word, I'm going to punch you in the mouth. <laughs> over my body, right? <laughs> so all this is going on, and I'm having a heart attack, and Praise the Lord. They had this drug called TPP. They put it in my blood system, and it cleared the clot. Um, and then I went through this long process of recovery with a lot of doubt as to whether I would ever recover. So it was, uh, as a 21-year-old, it was, it was a really weird sequence of events. And, I, you know, when I wake up, I'm in a hospital room, and my mother is, you know, pestering the doctor with a thousand questions. Mom's in the room. You, you know what my mom was doing. She was desperate. And I had no patience for it. I was angry. And I didn't want to hear her. I didn't want to hear anybody. I still, as I view back, my, my first emotion when I woke up was anger. I don't know why. I wondered. I wondered if it was because I was losing independence and I could feel it. I had gained independence. And I could feel it. I wonder if it was because I, I wanted so bad to be strong and I wasn't. I was weak. I don't, I don't know what I was mad about, but I was mad. I still remember telling my dad, you got to get her out of here because <laughs> mom's talking to the doctor and she wasn't doing anything wrong. I was just mad. And it was this really weird season. I still remember a friend coming to the, this variety of people came and visit you. You're laying there and this, this, this guy named David shows up. And he's not exactly what you would call the picture of health. He was my age, and he goes, that does it. I was in pretty good shape at the time. He goes, I'm never working out again. <laughs> it, was, it was hilarious. <laughs> so I guess he thought he was going to encourage me. Uh, and then God started working on me. I knew Jesus. I knew him well. I had peace when I thought I was going to die. But I wasn't too fond of suffering. Two different things, Right? Like, death is one thing, suffering is another. And so as the suffering began, I took 15 pills a day for years. Lost all my muscle. I didn't have much. I was skinny already, so I didn't have any to give. Uh, but God started working. And when you suffer, God works in a variety of ways. It's interesting. We're going to read a story in a minute where you're going to see God work through a miracle of a man who was suffering. 
But God does so much while you're suffering. And many of you in the room have suffered. For me, as I laid in that bed, uh, there was another visitor. His name was Bob Cord. I'm thankful to this day for him coming to see me. It's a man I respected from the church that I grew up, just so you know. And that's what you got. Like if, if, if you, you got a few folks around here that respect you and you go see them someday when they're suffering, you got this thing, you got this opportunity to give them something. And he gave me this, this book. You know, he didn't have amazing bedside manner. He, he, he did the best he could to love me. And he goes, I really want you to read this book, Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. I got him by the stacks since then. He gave it to me. And you know what I thought, because I was mad. You give me a book to read. I don't want to read no book. I definitely don't want to read one about trusting God right now. But then he left, and that's a good way to play books like this. It's like set them on the counter and walk away. And I began to read this book and began to look upward. And honestly, those six months after the heart attack to date are the best six months of my life in the middle of suffering. Why? Because God was close. He was, he was close. I read this book, and this book, this book really ties together God's sovereignty, big word, his wisdom, and his love. It ties those three things together and kind of weaves them together uh, so that you can comprehend them. So, so man, if, if you're suffering right now, I got a few copies. You can grab one, and we can order them for you. It's just this great read because what happened was through the course of suffering, I began to worship. I had worshiped before. I knew God. But I began to worship in a whole new way. Those six months, I taught my parents and to let me go back to school. So I went my senior year of college, my second semester. Um, you can imagine what my mom thought about that. Uh, and every night when I go to bed, like for the first time ever, I wondered if I was going to wake up. And there was this this beautiful time of me meeting God in that moment and having to find rest in him so I could sleep. And over the course of those months, like it, was, it just transformed me uh, in ways that I cannot explain. Even though I, I couldn't play basketball, I mean, I, I still, I went out and watched the intramural football game and my heart started racing. We had to get me away from the field because I wanted to get in. <laughs> intramural, so for goodness sakes. So I started to look upward, and worship became center to my life. And I, I started to look forward. Man, when you're 21, as you guys know, at that age in this room, of all of you that were 21 at one point, you, you remember you never think you're going to die. It's just the way you're wired. You're not afraid of anything. I mean, you might be afraid of a few things, but, but it doesn't seem real. Death doesn't seem real. All of a sudden... I got this advantage at 21 to know death was real. My third bout, long story, but I had to go back and forth to the hospital. The third time I had uh, my, the sack around my heart, somebody, somebody here can name that, uh, got inflamed. And it produced the same feeling as the heart attack. And I'm at the house, my, my dad, I'm like, Dad, I'm going to have another heart attack. I still remember the ride. We, we got in, I had this Volkswagen Jetta diesel stick shift. Most of y'all be dead if you had to take that to the hospital because you can't drive. <laughs> My dad got in that thing, and I sat down beside him. He's winding out the diesel. I mean, ain't never been a jet to go that fast. We're flying down the road, and we're about halfway to the hospital, and I'm like, Dad, I'm not going to make it. 
<laughs> it's funny because, I mean, it's not funny, but I wasn't having a heart attack. I just had a lot of pain, and so I passed out because of the pain. That probably tells you a little bit about me. I passed out in the seat beside him. I still wonder. I've never asked him about that. I've never asked him, like, what were you thinking, Dad, when, when I was out and we're on the way to the hospital? But, man, let me, let me just tell you about that for me is I got comfortable with the idea of heaven. I got comfortable with looking forward. Like there's this thing coming that's far greater than this thing here. And I looked inward. That whole season was this time of self-examination. I was looking to God. I was looking forward because I knew this life didn't last forever anymore. And I was looking inward. But the, the, it was, I don't know, if you remember being 21, it's all about the physical. It was so much about this and what it could do. I was like the reigning intramural champion, for goodness sakes. I mean, I was a big-time athlete, right? Like, like it, was a, it was all about this, and that went away. And so all of a sudden, I realized what I already knew on paper, that the physical wasn't near as important as the spiritual. That the spiritual really was where life was at. I was forced into it because the physical was taken away for a season. And then the Lord really worked on my identity it was a season where I had kind of swung from being shy to being really cocky, and, and those are really about the same, right? You're both hiding. Um, and, and I started to gain this confidence in who Jesus was. So my identity moved from, from all this other stuff I was trying to perform to, to really being in Christ, which gave me this weird confidence that wasn't connected to this or this. It was connected to him, independent of all this. Good. And it made me look outward. I mean, I think I knew about my radius some earlier in life. But now people were talking about God when they were talking about me because I was changing. And then I was talking about God when I was talking to people because he was the center. It was just good in every way. In some ways, I, 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 I envy those six months of deep deep relationship with the Lord in the midst of suffering. Well, I'll tell you that story. With this passage, we're going to meet a guy who suffered for 40 years. He's going to get healed. I'm going to read it to you. He's going to get healed. There's a lot of folks there that didn't get healed. This guy does get healed. And it's really interesting. God kind of works upward, forward, inward, and outward either way, whether you're healed or whether you suffer. Many of the people in this room today are suffering. I don't know what you're suffering from. I really believe God wants to meet you in it. And then on the sweet occasion where he heals someone, he does the same thing because it's about him. This life is about him. Acts chapter 3. If you've been with us, we've been one and two, we, uh, we saw Jesus ascend into heaven. Chapter two, we saw the Holy Spirit come down and his impact on mankind is dramatic and you get to see it right here in verse one. This is Acts chapter three. I'll read you the first six verses. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part of a three o'clock prayer service. They approached the temple. A man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day was put beside the temple gate and one, the one called the beautiful gate so he could beg for people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. And Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. And the lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of the Nazarene, get up and walk. 
Not a real complicated story. I love verse 1. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon. They're just on their normal route to a normal prayer meeting at 3 p.m., and they see this guy. There's one thing missing in, number, in verse 1 that's super interesting to me. Who's that? It's Jesus. Jesus didn't win it. Listen, chapter 1, he ascended to heaven. So they're going alone. They're going alone to the temple without Jesus. I imagine they've come to the temple many times with Jesus with them. You ever had the big dude that goes places to you, and when he's not there, how you feel? When the big dude's with you, kind of, kind of, you walk with a little bit more swagger because you got the big dude with you. This time, they're showing up and no Jesus, no son of God with them, just the two of them. It's fascinating to me how they walk up on this situation now filled with the Holy Spirit and acting like Jesus is still here. They're walking with that same swagger, but it's because of something inside of them, the, son, I mean, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, indwelling them as opposed to the physical Son of God standing beside them. So they walk up, Holy Spirit filled. By the way, if you know Jesus, you're going to do this tomorrow at work, unless you got tomorrow off. Like, you're going to do this tomorrow at work. You're going to walk in, and you, you'll make a choice before you go whether you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's in there. Whether you're going to yield to him for the day or not, you're going to make that choice. And, and if you do, as you walk in, you're walking in like these guys. You're walking in there as if Jesus was walking with you. And they approach the temple, which this would have just been a normal prayer meeting at the temple. Happened three times a day. This is the final one of the day. So they're going to be with all the people. And they uh, see this man who's lame from birth. You'll see in the next chapter, he's been lame for 40 plus years. So he's probably been set at this gate hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of times. Uh, this is his daily spot. One of the things that fascinated as me read, I read is, I wonder how many times Jesus walked by this guy and didn't heal him. I don't know. I'm just saying it, it may happen. Uh, it says they set him at the beautiful gate. We don't know exactly what gate that is. Some scholars get really confident about, him, about that, but most scholars say we're not sure which gate. That was like its slang name for that gate, but it was beautiful because they called it the beautiful gate. So he's sitting there, and he's doing what he does. He's begging. He's just trying to pay the bills for, for the week or the day or get some dinner tonight. I always have in my mind this, this story was, I wonder who carried him there. Somebody may have carried you in here today. Like they knew you were suffering, and they thought this would be a place for you to go. Man, you probably ought to thank them here in just a little bit. My dad used to pick up this paralytic, Buddy Rice. He was a quadriplegic. He was paralyzed from the neck down, and we had to pick him up. My dad had a station wagon, so it wasn't like a, <laughs> it wasn't a handicap accessible vehicle. This guy was 6'4". I don't know how much he weighed. My dad picked him up every Sunday morning, and my dad would pick him up out of his bed like this, and my job at 12 was to carry his feet. So I'd grab his feet, and uh, we'd carry him out to the car. The house, house stunk. There's a lot of reasons not to want to go. My dad knew him, though, as a kid, and, and uh, just wanted to care for him. It's just special people that took him to the gate every day. By the way, parents, you're going to serve somebody. Take your kids, right? Take your kids with you. And ask them to do something, not just watch. Ask them to do something. It's great for me to grab a paralyzed guy's legs 
and, and carry me. Some, somebody did that every day, and they've been doing it day after day. I may, they may have had a rotation, set him at the beautiful gate. And this day, two men filled with the Holy Spirit, they walk up on him. says, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. He's done this for decades, right? This is just what he does. He doesn't see them as special. He just sees them as normal men because that's what they look like. And so he asked them for money, and uh, he, he probably has gotten millions of no's and a few gifts. He's probably got some regulars. He's probably got some folks that have given him some amazing gifts, and he tells those stories because that gift lasts him a whole week. Paid his bills for a whole week or maybe a whole month. He's, he's got this long list of interactions with men. And it says that, I'm fascinated by verse 4. Peter and John looked at him intently. Uh, New American Standard says that Peter fixed his gaze on him. You can imagine that. You remember when your daddy fixed his gaze on you? You know, that was, it was not a good day. That was a negative time, right? But he fixed his gaze on him. I'm curious, what did it look like if God's been begging his whole life for decades, and all of a sudden, Peter and John walk up, and Peter fixes his gaze on him and like, just looks at him hard. I love what they say. I'm, again, I'm fascinated with verse 4, probably out of all these. He says, look at us. How about that? <laughs> That's kind of cocky. Hey, look at us. Stop looking around. Stop looking at all the other opportunities to raise some funds. Look at us. We had answers. Uh, Charles Stanley's an old, famous preacher. When he's preaching, he would always put his fingers together like this. I went and listened to him a couple times, put his fingers together like this, and he'd go, listen. <laughs> and it was amazing. The first time, about the 30th time in the sermon, I'm like, dude, I am listening. You say that one more time, I'm going to throw something at you. Like, like leave me alone. <laughs> but he, was, he knew what he was saying was super important, so he wanted to get you out of whatever was distracting. He'd hold it. And this is old school preaching, like, I don't know why they did Like, they wanted you to look at that point, and then they say, listen, and they kind of look right over that. It's scary a little bit. But, like, they wanted you to get the point. They wanted to get to you because they knew you were distracted, and they had no idea. Charles had no idea how distracted we'd be. Like, what's keeping you from hearing God's word this morning? So I'd say it just simply, as a man who's been filled with the Holy Spirit, and if you would for a minute, look at me, listen. It's a lost art, eye contact. And if you want to give your kids a big head start in the world, teach them to make eye contact. Because Generation Z ain't got no idea how to do it, right? And so when they do, young man makes eye contact, you're like, hmm, I like this kid, <laughs> right? Like even if he's faking it, he, he's, he's at least disciplined enough to look you in the eye. So Peter and this crippled man, this lame man, they're locked eye to eye. And Peter is taking on this authority like, Look at me. And, uh, man, I, I want you to look at Jesus today. Like, not the phone. We've talked enough about phones. I won't rail on them again, just how, how they keep us from Jesus often because it's so distracting. But in the last couple of weeks, I have heard some of the worst advice ever from ladies that were coworkers on a job to somebody here. Just terrible advice. They really just saying what someone wanted to hear. I consistently hear terrible advice from dudes on the golf course. Actually, contrary to what God would say. And so he, he's just saying, hey, stop looking at all the other options out there. Look at me. 
I've got something for you. And, and, and the way Peter words this, I mean, the, the way Luke records what Peter is doing, he says, the lame man looked eagerly to them expecting some money. It's all he's ever got. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I give you what I have. What a line. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. If you grew up in church, you're like, man, NLT is so weak, right? Like, like that, this New Living Translation, you're going, I want some King James on this verse. I don't want King James every day because I can't understand half of what the King James says. But on this verse, let me read it to you. It's amazing. Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. I love that. Such as I have, I give thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. NLT ain't got nothing on that. Like, that's, that's sweet. Silver and gold have I none. I love it. But then that second line, but such as I have, I give. I'm rich at a soul level on the inside, and I'll give you everything I have. So if you would... I got this listen to Tim Keller, and I changed one point, which is really scary when you change a point that Tim Keller had, right? If you know who that is, he's a famous preacher, and he's, he passed away last year in New York. I got this whole idea of upward, forward, inward, and outward from him, and he starts with upward, this interaction of a miracle where a man is healed, upward, forward, inward, outward, uh, applies as well if, if you're suffering. I, I could not, uh, I had never read this passage considering this man suffering for so many years. He immediately, Peter immediately points this man to Jesus, not to himself, not to his fancy words. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazarene, he connects him to a living man that came from a town, all God, all man. He connects him to Jesus Christ. He, he um, connects him directly to the answer. Verse 16, Peter starts preaching after this, which often happened after a miracle. He says, through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. He points him straight to God. In a hospital bed all those years ago, this, this, this man... He gave me a book. He knew I needed to look to God. And this, this simple read helped me look to God while I was suffering. In this case, he's going to heal him. He's going to do a miracle. And he says, but the only way the miracle happens is through Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, the Son of God. I think it's interesting for those of y'all that may be a little more intellectual in the room, all four of you, or five of you, whatever y'all are, like a little on smarter end, uh, Miracles are, like, troubling when you read the scriptures. Like, they're, they're almost embarrassing. Like, you know God, you know all Jesus' teaching, you got theology all lined up, you read the miracles, and when the smart people read the miracles, they kind of snicker under their breath for good reason. Like, how many times have you seen that happen? A dude crippled from birth, he gets up and walks. Like, like, what is up with that? I read Keller again this week said, uh, he, he quotes this verse from Hebrews chapter 1 that God upholds the universe by the word of his power. Interesting. Interesting, as, as the writer of Hebrews explained who God is, it says he holds all this together by the word of his power. 
So he said that a miracle is just when God moves outside of his customary way of moving. See, I thought it was pretty interesting. He actually said, man, we have these these scientific things, like we, we call them the laws of the universe, and we got a list of them, right? The scientists have come up with them through the years, and Keller's like, yeah, that's, God designed it like that way. That's the customary way that God works, like gravity, customary way God works. Anytime he decides not to work in the customary way, we call that a miracle. In this particular case where a guy's born and he can't walk, and Peter walks up and heals him, we, we give credit to God because that's, that's where we go. We go to God because we uh, agree that he created this place. He created mankind. And so when we see something kind of disruptive like a miracle, he walks on water. That makes no sense. That goes against all the rules of this universe. Well, it depends on who's making the rules, the, the scientist or the creator. Because if the creator did, he holds it all together by the word of his power. Anytime he wants to change the customary way, it's done. And, and we then, what do we do? We look upward, which is really what, as I laid in that, whether I lived or died, I had to wrestle with, is he sovereign? Is he wise? And does he love me? And when I got to the bottom of that, it was rich as I suffered. I got to meet him in a way that I never had before, and, and this guy gets to meet him in a miraculous way as he looks upward and he believes in the name of Jesus. Then uh, Peter asks him to look forward. He says in the passage, I give you what I have. Again, the King James, but such as I have, I give you. He looks forward to this like a, uh, restoration of all things. I'll read you a couple of verses from the sermon that Peter preaches later in the chapter. This is verse 20. He says, then times of refreshment will come in the presence of the Lord, and he will be again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah, for he must remain in heaven until the time of the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through the holy prophets. If you go back to the holy prophets, Isaiah chapter 35 Isaiah chapter 35, verse 6 says, the lame will leap like deer. You're going to see it in a couple verses. This boy's going to be healed. He's going to jump up, dance, jump all over the temple, do cartwheels. He's going to do all kind of crazy. The lame will leap like deer, right? Well, he's pointing to the future. This is the future. Jesus as the Messiah has arrived, has died, and has been uh, resurrected from the grave and ascended to heaven. So this is the future, but it also points toward our future the ultimate restoration of mankind to who we were designed to be. God didn't, God didn't design being broke, right? Like, like Adam and Eve weren't ever supposed to be broke. Broke financially, broke physically, broke relationally. God put all that together in beauty. If uh, God just wanted to show off his power, man, Peter could have looked at everybody there and thought, I'm going to write my name in the clouds right now. P-E-T. Look, look at that, boy. Or Peter could say, watch me fly. Anybody dream about flying? That's like one of my greatest dreams. I never want to wake up. I'm flying. Like with, with no airplane, you know, like flying. Like, like he could have just flown around like, how you like me now? Like, and, and, and 
and had it, but instead he restored something that was broken. The majority, the vast majority of the miracles, you actually see God restoring it back to the way it was supposed to be. Now, he doesn't solve it eternally, right? Because the lame man got up, he jumps around, runs all over the temple, and lives probably a good life, and then he dies. But he restored it for the moment. Anybody else at the age now, like when you walk down the steps in the morning, I walk down the steps, and about two-thirds down, I have either this realization that nothing hurts this morning, <laughs> and I, I seriously thank the Lord. Like, it reminds me of when I was in my teens. Like, nothing hurts. I made it. I'm two-thirds down. I could actually be a little more aggressive on the next step, right? Like, because normally, anybody else take one step at a time sometimes? <laughs> like, uh, it just hurts. Like, some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Most of them do. Like, see how it works? It's this restoration of all things that God's in the business of. There was no poverty when God created man and woman. There's poverty now. There's blindness. There's cancer. There's all this brokenness. He's going to restore it, he says. So he gets us to look forward to this time when restoration. When there's a miracle, you look forward to restoration. When you're suffering, you look forward to restoration, it reminds you that this thing is broken. Gets us to look inward. Love the line. I don't have any silver or gold for you. This dude's been begging for decades his job. I imagine he's got his pitch just down right. He's got his hand extended. I really wonder when Peter picks him up with his right hand, is that the hand that was extended? Like asking for money and Peter snatches his hand. We don't know exactly, but he's extending it, looking for some money, and Peter gives him something totally different. Inevitably, even here at Radius, including myself, we show up on Sunday telling God we need something physically. A lot of folks, they say regardless of your tax bracket, 500 more dollars, most folks think, will make them happy a month. Just 500 more dollars. I'd be happy. I'd be, I'd be set free in some way. So my budget, my marriage, a relationship with a prospective dude or lady that I would love to have, having a child, all these things we think, because they're physical, and many of those things are so good. They're going to bring happiness, but there's, there's this deeper issue. <laughs> and for most of us as Americans, silver and gold makes perfect sense. Like, let's just start with the silver and gold. If we get that part right, I can get all the rest of it right. This man's just like us. And instead, Peter says, hey, look at me. Like, I got something for your deeper need. I can get all the way down to your core. Verse 19, again, from his sermon in the, in the next passage, he says, Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Verse 26, When God raised up his servant Jesus, he sent him first to the people of Israel to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. What's he saying, man? You got, you got a financial issue. You need to pay the bills. You got a walking issue. You can't go anywhere, but you're... Deep issue is sin, and it owns you, and it's destroying you. So, hey, look at me. Look deeper. Look deeper. A couple really practical things come out of this, like, looking inward. We said it earlier. The physical is never the deepest need. which means the greatest joys won't be attained by anything physical. 
not by having complete financial security, which is kind of impossible, uh, not by having an amazing marriage. I almost said that's kind of impossible, but I didn't say that. Like, like, it's like there's no relationships perfect because you got two flawed people put together, not by having just the right amount of kids. None of that completely fulfills at the deepest level. So the greatest joy comes at a spiritual level because that's Jesus is bringing you this thing beyond this world. He's bringing heaven to earth, and he's willing to give it to you. And let me just say this, man. I, Heart attack was great for me, and you see it with this guy. Unless you're sure about Jesus, then your identity's got to be in something else. So if you lose everything financially, it's devastating. I mean, it's devastating for those of us that know Jesus. But it's intolerable if you don't. If you lose your marriage to death, to divorce, then who are you now? Because it was all about me and him or me and her, who am I now? If I lose someone close, if my body fails, and hate to tell y'all, this is going to fail. Like if it don't look pretty enough or it's, or it's suffering in some way, like who are you now? What if disaster hits? Who are we going to be? The church of Jesus Christ, what if disaster hits? You know who the church has been in the past? Because she knew who she was. When the plagues came back in the day, you know what the church did? They didn't run around and prep. They didn't run away and prep. They moved toward the people who were sick, and they died with the people because they had so much to give because of who Jesus was. So when we suffer or whether we're healed, we look upward, we look forward, we look inward, and we look outward. I'll quit with this. The most amazing line of the whole passage is get up and walk, right? I'll read you the rest. I don't have much time to talk about it, but it's, it's amazing. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand, and he helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened, and he jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. And then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. I saw the high school guys dancing in the parking lot the other day. Like, like it just reminded me of all things restored back in the day when my legs moved like that. They had this new dance, I can't figure it out exactly, but... It was like, man, someday I'm going to do that again. This dude, he's celebrating the fact that all things have been restored. And all the people saw him walking and heard, heard him praising God. And when they realized that he was the lame beggar, that same old lame beggar, they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. And they all rushed out in amazement into Solomon's colonnade, the side area of the temple with these great columns where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. You imagine some hugging and kissing, like, bro, get off me. No more hugging. He'd just been healed through these two men. And Peter saw this opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? I love that. Man, we got a bunch of great group leaders in here. But group leaders ain't about us, is it? Ain't about what we know or what we bring to the table. It's about Jesus. We point to Jesus. And so when we're interacting, whether it be in-house with other believers, it, it's like we're fo- facing toward our brothers. We love our brothers and sisters because of what Jesus has done inside of us. And when we walk out the doors, we name this thing Radius because this town is our responsibility. But it doesn't have to be like this labor. Like it's this joy of overflow because he's healed us at the deepest level. So there's supposed to be this joy about us. 
as we walk out that people have to deal with. Oswald Chambers, I'm reading his devotional. It's a classic. If you want to get it, it'd be worth it. I read it in Old English. It makes me think harder. He said this uh, a couple days ago. When a man says he must develop a holy life alone with God, he is of no more use to his fellow man. He puts himself on a pedestal away from the common run of men. It's a great quote. If you know this guy, this writer, he's constantly talking about spending time with God. But he's like, spending time with God makes no sense if you don't also spend time with men and women. Like, knowing God automatically makes you love your radius. It's the way it has to work. It's the way it's supposed to work. And so every Sunday, man, we come in here and we celebrate the ultimate miracle which is the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. We're here on Sunday because he rose from the grave on Sunday, on a Sunday. That's why the church started meeting on Sundays. And that resurrection connects to you. If you believed in Jesus, you're celebrating the fact that you've been brought to life. Celebrating a miracle should make us look all those ways, upward, forward, inward, and outward. But we're also celebrating suffering, the ultimate suffering. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, I'm going to suffer so much, never forget it, remember it, remember it, remember it, remember it, until when? Until he comes back. And so we take bread and juice every Sunday. If you've never done this with us before, that little wafer at the bottom of that cup reminds us that Jesus' body was broken, that he suffered. And when you look at the sufferings of Jesus just physically, it's horrific. When you think about his suffering as the holy God punishes him, just beyond comprehension. And we're celebrating his suffering so let's do it as he asked us to. Let's pray together. Look around the room, Lord. It's just so good for us. To slow down for an hour and remember who you are. Help us stay slowed down for a minute, Lord. Keep remembering who you are. For those in the room that are suffering, I pray that you meet them in their pain. Father, remind them of your sovereignty, that you're in control, that you love them, and that you're all wise. We've been praying by name for some that have cancer across our campuses and are suffering, Lord. I know Sarah had a terrible week last week. I pray that you'd meet her in that. We recognize Jesus but that by the power of your name, you can make her whole. And that is absolutely what we want. So we're going to keep asking. And yet, whether our suffering ends like this 40-year-old invalid did, or whether we suffer to the end of our life, Lord, we, we, we are thankful that we can worship because of Jesus' death on the cross. We're thankful that we can look forward in heaven to be completely restored. We, uh, we're thankful that we could have an identity on our insides that relates to you, Jesus, rather than having to have our identity placed in this failing body. And we're shocked that you would use us as your ambassadors to this world. We're thankful that because of the change in us, we could face outward. I'm looking around the room. I see some folks in the room brought by neighbors. Thank you for that good light that they shed. 
We love you, Jesus. Listen to us worship. Amen.